So the title of today's sermon is Shifting Our Story for God's Glory. Shifting Our Story, thank you, brother, for God's Glory. So the text scripture, if Anna can put the slides for the text. Um, Psalms chapter 24, verse 10. We have a few scriptures, but, but they're laying a, a framework and a foundation for what I'm going to talk about today. Psalms 24, verse 10 says, Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's army. He is the king of glory. Then it says interlude, because it was like a song. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 through 7. The apostle Paul writes, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we can know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. I got to read that part again. So we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Can I hear amen, brothers? Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And we're talking about glory. We're talking about radiance. Hebrews 1, 3 says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by, his, by the mighty power of his command. And when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in a place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, So all of us who have been made, who have, so all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect. We see and we reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more. And more like him, we are changed into his glorious image. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you to make that part of your goal in your life. To be changed into Jesus' glorious image. That when people see you, they sense Jesus. They don't just see your six-pack. And I hope all you guys are going to the gym and lifting weights and walking and eating right. Keep it tight, right? But they sense God's peace, power presence and love Ephesians my favorite book in the Bible chapter 1 verse 7 through 8 he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins and he showered up showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding <clears throat> praise the Lord sister Anna if you can put the next slide we're going, to talk, we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul for a second. So right now we're talking about getting an understanding, getting an appreciate for God, appreciation for God's glory, and then letting that reflect into our story, right? That one of, the, one of the aspects of our life should be to endeavor to reflect, to understand. It's going to take us the rest of our life to understand God's glory. Yeah. And it's worth studying. You know, me and Anna, we have a strong marriage because we understand that we have to work on it for the rest of our lives. Yeah. We still have to study each other. Exactly. We still have to compliment each other, right? All, all husbands go through a family where they don't compliment their wives because they say, well, you know, 
we've been married three years. We've been married. I got to tell you, you're still beautiful? Yes. And the, and, and the woman got to continue to tell the men, you're so strong. You're so strong. My wife be telling me that, and I'll be like, I, I, know what, I know what strategy you're using, but it works. <laughs> stop, stop. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. And so we have to study raising my children, raising, raising my sons, right? This is not an accident. They are the way they are. I've been studying parenthood for years, you know? And I'm going to tell you, I have to evolve. How I speak to Eddie and Ethan now is not the same way I spoke to them three years ago. We use a little bit more satire now because I know they know, right? We use a little bit more encouragement, more coaching, right, right guys? A little bit more coaching. More, more, more strong suggestions than commandments, right? But we have, to, we, have, we have to evolve them. I don't hit them no more. They're, they're bigger than me. They can beat me up. <laughs> they can do like the road, the, the, road, the road warriors with wrestling where they have the spikes and they can tag team each other and beat me up. Right? But we have to continue to study the glory of God forever. Study the glory of God forever. Study the gospel forever. You never outgrow the majesty of the gospel. So let's look what Paul was dealing with, right? Now, if you look at the book of Galatians, I think Paul was dealing with some false teachers. And how he dealt with the false teachers is preach more Jesus, right? He didn't say like, yo, let's have a, a, a versus battle, me versus you. Imagine Paul versus somebody in, a ver in like a debate battle, right? Like they do uh, in the Apollo sometimes and all that stuff. He said, I'm just going to preach Jesus. You guys are listening to the wrong people. So I'm going to just tell you more about Jesus, right? And so during Paul's day, there were two different other Gospels that was comp competing against uh, his own. One of them was the Gospel of Legalism, where they wanted to keep like Judaism traditions alive. And that when the Gentiles, when people who weren't born Jew uh, got saved, they were like, oh, you got to get circumcised, you got to do this. And, you know, it's, it's hard to tell a 42-year-old man, like, oh, you want to serve the Lord? You want to go to heaven? <laughs> you got to go visit the urologist and have a special surgery. And it, it, it's hard to grow your church under those circumstances. But he was dealing with legalism. And then he started dealing with uh, libertinism, which is like, Oh, you can do whatever you want. Sloppy agape. Oh, the grace. God will forgive you. You want to cheer on your wife? God will forgive you. You, you want to smack your kid and embarrass your kid? God will forgive you. You want to punch your neighbor? God will forgive you. And it was too loosey-goosey, right? Because both sides of the culture, the left and the right, the progressive Greeks and the Romans were influencing culture, and the legalistic Jews were influencing culture. And it's not good, right? And so it was the gospel of legalism, which is rule-orientated, and the other was the gospel of libertinism, which is self-orientated. So in the New Testament letter, especially Paul's, takes dead aim at both of these. Yet these two thinking is still alive today. We see today excessive fundamentalism. You can't go to church unless you're wearing a suit. You can't go to church unless you have it all together. You can't go to church. Ladies can't wear pants. Ladies can't wear makeups. You know, you have to vote this way. You have to mow your lawn this way. You can't support this cause. And there's excessive fundamentalism. And there's also excessive progressive Christianity, right? And um, you see 
different stages, right? Like you see cage stage, cage stage Calvinism on the fundamentalism. You see deconstruction and almost losing their faith that they open their minds so they open their minds so much that their salvation falls out, right? And their their heart for God falls out. Mm-hmm. And you see this thing called ex evangelicals. Um, then you also see fundamentalists with church with toxic cultures. You know, there's people who go to church, and when they finally walk into church, they have a knot in their stomach. Do I look right? Am I, am I here on time? Do my kids look right? I hope my kid don't say he failed the class. I hope, my, I hope my daughter don't say she has a boyfriend that's from another faith. I hope the pastor don't, don't, don't uh, ask me if I, if I fulfill my pledge yet. And then they come in and, and they're nervous. A place of freedom becomes a new place of bondage. And so... God, is not, God has called us to be free and in love with God, right? And so let's look real qu- closely at um, le- legalism and libertinism. And uh, let me double check my Facebook to see if I'm centered and if you guys can see me and all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh, we can see? Oh, okay, thanks, Sister Anna. Praise the Lord. All right. So now in legalism, it comes in a spectrum in shades. Shade one... There's a shade that says, like, you must believe in Jesus and obey Moses' law to be saved. And the Bible doesn't say that. There is a shade, too, of legalism. You must believe in Jesus to be saved, but you must obey the Old Testament law to stay saved. So believing gets you in, but blind obedience out of obligation keeps you in. There is another shade of legalism that's a little dangerous. Then you must believe in Jesus to be saved, but you must obey God's law to gain favor and make God happy. And, we, and you know, when you make God happy, he'll make you happy. And that's, that, that, that feels true, but it's coming from the wrong intention. It's coming from a fear base, not a love base. And these expectations are not exactly found in the Bible. And each shade of legalism seeks to win God's favor by human effort, which is kind of the right thing done the wrong wrong way because we have to be Holy Spirit-led. We cannot do this in our own power. We cannot just stop sinning in our own power without the Holy Spirit. We cannot just stop uh, looking at pornography and cursing and fighting and, and, and wilding out in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit. We need to love the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the promise and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray right now, everybody watching, that you have a new love and appreciation for the conviction, for the conviction and the convincing of the Holy Spirit, for the guiding of the Holy Spirit. So I see many people abuse this thinking and burn out and get hurt and leave the things of God through extreme pressure because they can't cope with the new pressure that ministry has put on them, that uh, unhealthy expectations, so that they cope with secret sin. And then when they do that, sometimes they hurt others. Now, in reaction to legalism and the devastation it brings, there's also the other side of the coin in libertinism. And libertinism is also called easy believing because it equates a a mental assent with faith. It has the mind but not the heart. 
A head nod to a statement of belief is not what the Bible means by the words faith and belief. The gospel of libertinism teaches that because we are under grace, anything goes. And they are inclined to justify carnality by pulling the grace card. They say, I'm free in Christ. Don't judge me. <laughs> grace is not a license to live in the flesh or silence your conscience. And I see many people abuse this thinking and find themselves trapped and set back. I see some people who used to wrestle with addiction and say, I got grace. I can dabble in this thing. I'm, I got more self-control now. I've been, I've been going to church to me for five years. I know almost all the songs. <laughs> I, I read a John Maxwell book. I read out daily bread three days a week. And then they fall back into addiction. Because the disease of addiction don't give up. The flesh don't give up. When you got saved, your spirit became born again, but your mind still needs to be renewed and your flesh needs to be subdued. Brothers and sisters, a mark of sin, that is, uh, the one of the marks of sin is it produces unnecessary pain to oneself and to others. Sin and love are the exact opposite. Love is benefiting others at the expense of yourself, some form of sacrifice. Sin is benefiting yourself at the expense of others. Sin is selfishness. Love is selflessness. And so some libertines have gone so far in their deception that they have tried to reinvent Jesus into their own image to justify their rebellion against God and clothe it with spiritual talk. Others have gone further off the beam and have become like atheists. This is why knowledge puffs up. This is why I tell people, if you're going to go to seminary, you, you better go to Bible college, you better lift up your prayer life. You better continue to wash people's feet, literally and metaphorically, because all that knowledge of grace, all that knowledge of, of redemption, all that knowledge that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, steals your spiritual vitality if you don't have a heart for God. Our next slide. In short, the libertine lives as there is no God. The legalist lives as though he or she is God to everyone else. Both attitudes are inco incompatible with the life of Christ and the kingdom of God. They are equally allergic to kingdom living. Amen. Praise the Lord. Can I hear amen in the Facebook chat? So listen to this. Without the Holy Spirit's illumination, the deception could be difficult and if not almost impossible to break. I've been in both sides of this stuff. I've been legalistic. I've been legalistic, judging other leaders, what they did, what they didn't do, how many people go to their Bible. When I was younger than the Lord, I was ambitious. I was ambitious. And I, I felt like I was a nice person. But I didn't understand when certain leaders were going through a temporary setback. And I was like, sit down, you know. And I was judging people. I was judging what they were wearing in church. I was judging how they were raising their hands in church, judging if they raised their hand for the pledge, judging how many people went to their Bible study, <laughs> judging if they showed up to the prayer meeting, the all-night prayer meeting. Remember, Jimmy, we got all-night prayer meeting, like, oh, let's see who's the real Christians. Let's see who shows up. Or who went to the evangelism rally. And then I went to the other side, too. 
when I started understanding grace. And I was like, oh, it's like that? Oh, okay. So if Adam sinned and the whole world got affected and Jesus got, Jesus laid the second Adam and the whole world got affected positively, I'm good. And then that kind of, uh, that kind of thinking led me to walk away from the things of God for a while. That and a combination of church hurt. Libertinism with a combination of church hurt, I walked away from God for a while. And I'm not the only one. I know some of us, some of you watching had the same testimony. And the truth is, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we all need Jesus Christ to forgive us, to deliver us, and keep us each day from both the defiling act of the flesh and the other hand, being all self-righteous of the flesh and thinking we're better. So the third gospel is the gospel Jesus, Paul, and the other apostles preach. See, Jesus stood outside both the progressive left of his day, which was a camp called the Sadducees, and the conservative right of his day, a camp called the Pharisees. And his gospel and message transcended and collided with them both. They also subverted their allegiance to, and, and, and his message also uh, endangered people's allegiance to the Roman emperor because he says he is the king of kings. The New Testament never really defines the, the kingdom of God, but it illustrates it. And it's almost impossible to explain it without diluting its power and draining its glory. It's simply that the kingdom of God is more than we've been taught. And, and the gospel is so vast. And it doesn't fit into the agenda of the left or the right. It's not just future or past or present. It transcends all that. If, you, if Adam puts the next slide, Tim Keller says this is the gospel. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is good news. This is good news. And brothers and sisters, the gospel is not just good advice, good philosophy, good organization, good religion, good politics, or good views. The gospel is the true good news. Listen, in the first century, the word gospel and evangelize referred to the heralding of, uh, 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 and the good news of a new empire, right? And shout out to uh, this pastor that's in Russia. He's an American pastor in Russia. I suggest that you follow him. And he has an online devotion called Rick Renner. Rick Renner. Um, and I think, I think, Ethan, there's a, like a, you could put the, the link of the article in the Facebook message. And Rick Renner was talking about the herald, right? The person, uh, and this is like some of the terms Jesus was using. Like Ecclesia was like a Roman term where it says that these were influential people called out to represent Rome and represent their people. And that's like the church. We represent our families and our community and we represent the kingdom of God. But preaching the gospel, there's a word, it was, it's karux, K-E-R-U-X. And these were heralds. These are people who were like, hearken, hear ye, hear ye. And they would speak to the people what the king wanted them to know. And that's what we do when we, when we share the gospel. We tell people, hear ye, hear ye. Listen to what the king of glory has to say. And as we do that, as we reflect God's glory, people's lives will be changed. Now you say, but Pastor Ed, I'm not smooth like that. Oh, I can't do that. Listen, you just be obedient and do it with love. Do it with humility. 
You don't have to yell it out. You can live it out. And so these, these, these heralds would get close to the king, close to the emperor. And they would take notes, right? They would say, uh, King Ramon King, what do you want me to tell to the, the people of the province of Queens? And Ramon was like, tell the people of the province of Queens that I will be visiting them soon in October 32nd, or <laughs> October 30th. <laughs> and then he would say, tell the people that to be at peace or whatever. And then the herald would ask them notes, right? Like King Ramon, but do you mean this or this? Should I say this? And he, they would speak to the king. It's kind of like when we're praying and we're studying God's word. And the king said, yes, yeah, say this, say that, don't say this, and, and, and tell the people. So then that herald will go dress nice, took care of themselves, learn to speak well, live well, look well, and go and inform the people in a regal manner and proclaim the good news that the king is coming, that the king is informing the people of a new era of peace, salvation, blessing, unity, purity, maturity, grace, strength, defense, power, aesthetics. And then he would share this and the people would get excited. And then he would convince that when the, when the king comes, this is the protocol. We go on one knee, we say, hail the king, and we do this. And so this is the same language that Jesus and the apostles were using on how we proclaim Jesus. The gospel that the apostles preached was the announcement, the heralding, that Jesus Christ has become the true emperor and Lord and, and will one day launch a new era of peace, salvation, and blessing. And because of it, everything has changed. This is the gospel of the kingdom. This is how we have to shift our story, our narrative with the glory of God. And we have to, uh, we have to submerge so we could uh, merge and emerge this beautiful gospel and, this, and God's glory through our life. We have to spend time with the King of Kings so we can know how to live, so we can be blessed, protected, and be the salt and light. Listen, the gospel of the kingdom is the good news about the universal kingship of Jesus of Nazareth on earth. It is the gospel of grace, salvation, and life. We are followers of Christ who have been captured by this gospel. Not just us, many people. There are wealthy people in Colorado Springs right now. They live off 10%. And they give 90% to missions. 90%. There are retired business executives that put God first. And they give 90% of their, their finances to their local church and world missions. And then, Jimmy, they loan their expertise. They loan their resources. They loan their network to help the kingdom of God. You know, um, there was a pastor who fell recently. And everybody was mad at him. He didn't know where to go. And you know who helped him? Tyler Perry. Brother Tyler Perry. Brother Tyler Perry helped them. Then one time when Tyler Perry wanted to buy a, a big studio in Atlanta, a movie studio, and they said, oh, this, this parcel of the land is owned by this, this, this bishop, right, this church. Tyler, I think it was Paul Morton. Tyler Perry knew the brother, called the brother. I said, hey, brother, we got to work it out. We have to collab. This is kingdom business. And that brother knew that this was a bigger agenda. 
and, and they work together. There are businessmen, there are businesswomen, men of color, white brothers and sisters, Asian brothers and sisters, that they're rich and they do God's work. Mm-hmm. We can't be programmed to say the rich guys are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. We have to learn to partner with the strong and still have sympathy with the weak. Because there's up and out people too. And we have to learn how to preach to the powerful people and learn how to lead rich people to Christ. There are saints in China willing to risk imprisonment. This is, this is the gospel. Saints in China, saints in Afghanistan who couldn't make the Pineapple Express, right? That these like Delta Force, these uh, special forces guys were picking up allies and translator people and Christians. And there was like an image of a pineapple and they got in. Uh, the, the, the caravan to go to the airport. There was, there was saints that couldn't make the Pineapple Express and they, they told people, don't cry for us. We're ready to see the Lord. And they were martyred. There are saints in New York who read the Bible stories. There, there are moms and dads who, who read Bible stories to their kids every day and they're raising up champions. They sing worship songs with them. They pray over them and they pray with them and they let the kids pray for them. You know, one day I was having a bad day last year, and everybody in my family was busy, and I saw Eddie going to the kitchen. I said, brother, can you pray for me? And I had a massive headache. And he prayed for me, and I'm not going to lie. My headache started going away. And there's people that are teaching their kids how to pray. There's people that are teaching their kids how to be good Samaritans. They're, being, they're, they're, they're reflecting the glory of God. Regular people who are flawed and fantastic. There's Christians who wrestle with abuse, addiction, and pain. Who are like sometimes they're like Samson. And their weakness gets the best of them. But they will end their life strong. And people just look at their bad chapters. Oh, he was a Christian, he wrestled with addiction, he was a Christian, he wrestled with this. But God loves these people. And we have to love these people. The next slide, Susanna. One of the things I've learned, right? So we're talking about the gospel, right? We're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about sloppy agape, hyper grace. We're talking about the true transformational gospel, right? Oh, I don't know how that happened. It took away my screen. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Ethan. Oh, um... One of the things I learned in my spiritual journey is that the closer someone gets to Jesus Christ, the less judgmental, the less self-righteous, the less harsh to others. They're less sour, less mean, less sneaky, and less selfish, right? That they want to be like Christ. They don't want to manipulate people. They, they just they want to reflect God's glory. And the closer one gets to Christ, the more they desire to know and live for God's ultimate purpose. Where are we at? Let me see where we're at. Oh, I got a few more minutes. Praise the Lord. The Lordship of Jesus Christ and the liberty of Christ are two sides of the same reality. Next slide, Santa. So we're free and clean. The gospel of the kingdom liberates us from the defiling acts of the flesh on one hand and sets us free from the self-righteousness of the flesh on the other hand. We should endeavor to link God's glory to our personal story. 
God's glory is the visible expression of his character. It includes his beauty, his splendor, his love. The glory is the result of his grace. And grace is God giving, uh, giving us what we don't deserve. In God's grace, we see his glory. God's life is glory and his nature is grace. Earthly kingdoms are often ruled by force. Mm -hmm. Fear is the tool that is used to keep them in line. Satan's kingdom is ruled by uh, force, tyranny, uh, how do you say the word? Tyranny? Tyrannical. Fear, control, deception, and an appeal to self-preservation. But God's, God's by love. God's forces by love. Listen, the next slide. The kingdom of heaven is ruled neither by fear nor by force. Instead, God's kingdom is governed by God's glory, grace, and freedom. And I speak that over your life right now. In the name of Jesus, I speak that over your life. Now consider God's rule in the unseen realm, right? Remember the angels and God made the seen realm. He made the unseen realm and then he made the seen realm. And God's rule in the unseen realm before creation, the heavenly host was subject to God by the sight of his peerless glory. And they were utterly free to follow him or not follow him. That's why some of the angels fell. And some of them chose not to follow. So listen, what has kept the most of the heavenly realm host submitted to God's authority since the beginning of time is the beauty and splendor of God. If you study angelology, the angels who bear, um, who were closest to God, they have a holy light. They're intoxicated with the beauty of the Almighty. They continuously marvel, even though they, they're with Him every day, crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. They still marvel at His majesty, His splendor, at His radiance. And you and I, there's things we love that we still marvel. I still look at my wife and say, man, thank God. I still look at my children and I say, man, thank God, I, I, I'm blessed. I still go to church and, 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 and feel the love and the warmth and I say, thank God. I, I, I still preach, how much more when you see Yahweh Elohim and his glory and his power and Jesus Christ in his right hand. We need to take time to contemplate the glory of God, the holiness of God. They are, the angels are captivated and captured by his glory. You can see that in Isaiah uh, 6, 2-3. You can see it in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. You can see it in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. Revelation 4, 8-11. through 11, 5, Revelation 5, Revelation 7. I'll put it in the chat later. So interestingly enough, when the kingdom of heaven broke into earth with the coming of Jesus, this template did not change. Jesus Christ, the true king, rules by his glory, and he still gives human beings freedom to reject them or to accept them. And how will you and I reach the standard of the kingdom of God? We will never, be, we will never reach the standard by being motivated anything except by the sight of his glory. We are standing in the lineage of the seraphims and the angels and the cherubims of the holy hosts who are captured by the glory of God in heaven and come under his sway. We're supposed to look at Jesus like the way those angels look at the Father. We're supposed to look at Jesus when, when, when he turned the water into wine and say, oh, that's a good God. 
He took away the shame. We're supposed to look at Jesus when he saved the woman about to commit adultery and about to throw rocks at her face. Even though, even though these small towns, Brother Darrell, they probably knew her. They probably knew her brother. They probably knew her mother. And they were ready to kill her for religious standards. And then Jesus says, yo, who would never sin? You throw the first stone, beloved. And then he started writing in the dirt. And some people say he might have been writing their sins. And he said, sister, I don't judge you. Go and sin no more. Yeah. That's supposed to rock our world. Yeah. That he's talking in this age where women weren't respected. Jesus was dealing with women with love. The Samaritan woman at the well divorced a bunch of times. She's a Samaritan. She's, she's a, 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 a black sheep in her community, divorced, living with a man. And God, the human face of God is talking to her, loving her, and releasing, the, releasing her to do ministry and preach. And then goes to her town and eats with them, shares their food, uses their utensils, drinks from their cups, step in their house when no one in his time was doing that. We're supposed to be in awe of that and think, how can we imitate the same way that King David represents Jesus' life on earth and King Solomon is like a, a prophetic representation of the millennial reign of Christ. The same, way, the same way when Queen of Sheba went to visit Solomon and they said she fainted at the glory of, the, of his wisdom and, and how beautiful everything was. We're supposed to nearly faint in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, we must open our heart and receive his grace and then show this glory and grace to others, especially our brothers and sisters in the Lord. And we have to understand that this glorious God loves us. Not that we're just chasing him, but he loves us first. One of the untold secrets of the Christian life is that before we can fully surrender our life to the lordship of Jesus, we must first be assured he genuinely loves us. And we love him because he first loved us. Read 1 John 4, 19. All right. So let's, let, let's get some one, two, threes, you know, some, some steps and some things out of the way. Um. Is there an Isaiah slide there? Yeah. yeah, maybe you want to put it up. Oh, is there already? Praise the Lord. It's on Zoom. Oh, it's on Zoom. One of the Lord, one of the things about the glory of God and, and how it should impact us is we should learn from the book of Isaiah chapter 6. And we see that there's conviction, consecration, and calling. And read it when you, when you get home, when you are home. But read it when you have a chance. Um, and so... Isaiah sees the Lord, his glory, his splendor. And, and, and according to the Gospels, it was Jesus. And he sees Jesus before his incarnation in Nazareth and Galilee and, and, and being born in Bethlehem. He sees Jesus. And the first thing he says, woe is to me for I am undone. Some, people, some translations say I am ruined. So Isaiah, Isaiah sees Jesus and like, I'm in sin. I'm undone. I'm ruined. I'm no good. That's conviction. When we reflect and contemplate on the holiness of God and the presence of God, we shall have some level of conviction. And then a heavenly creature touches Isaiah's mouth with like a coal from the altars of God. And then he cleanses, cleanses him. And this is consecration. We still believe in the supernatural intervention of consecration through the Holy Spirit. When he convicts us, he convinces us. 
and he, and he helps us collaborate with his empowerment. Brothers and sisters, have you ever been convicted? Have you ever said something to somebody and then you get in the presence of God and say, man, I should not have said that. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. So there's, there's, a, there's, there's a conviction, right? There's a conviction. Uh, then there's a consecration. And then the Lord says, who should I send? And Isaiah responds, send me. And that's the calling. The book of John chapter 12, verse 41 says, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Talking about Jesus. So in the next slide, in the life of the follower of Christ, a fresh apprehension of the Lord's beauty produces a renewed humility, a renewed consecration, and renewed um, mission. So the last slide before we go home, let me see where I'm at time. Ooh, I'm five minutes over. Forgive me, fam. And so the last slide is three words I want you to meditate on. Right? I have it up there. You guys see it? The three words. Commitment, inconvenience, and sacrifice. I want to thank my wife for helping me brainstorm with this. So the first thing is we have to commit ourselves. We need commitment. We need to commit ourselves to study, to sit, and saturate ourselves with the glory of Christ and the kingdom of God. If the gospel of the kingdom is not changing your life, how can you expect it to change other people's lives? Read the red and pray for the power, fam. Listen to this sermon again. Memorize the Apostles' Creed. Learn what's called the New City Catechism. And it's like question and answers about doctrine. And I shared the resource yesterday, and I'm going to buy everybody the book and send it to your house. We have to learn doctrine. We have to learn and sit and, and soak in anointed worship music, undisturbed. And we have to ask God to show you how to lovely imitate Jesus within the context of our life and our story. I like how David said, David was a shepherd. So he said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? He, he combined the story, his story with God's story. And we have to learn to start merging. His, so people do that. Little Eddie can tell you, um, super fans of movies, right? This is a movie called The Big Lebowski. And they made a religion out of it, dudism, right? The dude, right? They knew how to took the, the ethos and the principles for the movie called The Big Lebowski Emergency. There's fans, there's a book called The Force, like it's a religious thing. And there's Star Wars fans that says that they could apply all these things into their life. The Matrix, you know? How much more the kingdom of God, fam? How much more the real thing? Listen, once we grow in the revelation of God's love for us, then we will grow not only in love with Christ, but his bride. You can't say you love PD if you don't love Natalie. You can't say, man, I love that Anika, but Greg can stay home. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you can say that, but you won't really have a great relationship with the smileys. You, got, you take one, you got to take the other. Right? And so we have to learn to love his bride. We have to be willing to be inconvenienced for the kingdom of God. Somebody say inconvenienced in the chat. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know, we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Somebody, uh, a blogger named Anne Voskamp said this, A willingness to be inconvenienced is the ultimate proof of love. Uh, a, Bible, uh, a Bible scholar named Ray Orton once said this, if your, if your relationship with your church is ambiguous, sporadic, and subject to convenience, 
The problem is not your relationship to your church. The problem is your relationship with Christ. Because he has made his loyalty clear. He even delights in his church. He is committed to the revival of this world through the revival of the church. To God, the most important thing of all his created reality is his church. And a crown beauty in his hand. Your own greatest happiness is the revival of your church. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 24 says, But the, ki- the king David replied to Arunuah, No, I insist on buying it. He wanted, to, he wanted to make a sacrifice on this one property. And he says, I want to buy the property. And the guy says, No, you can do the sacrifice. He goes, No, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that has cost me nothing. We have to learn to pay the price. We have to learn to be inconvenienced for the kingdom. Visiting, visiting somebody in the hospital, inconvenience for the kingdom. Chipping in with somebody and their kid has an opportunity, inconvenience for the kingdom. Going to church when you're tired, inconvenience for the kingdom. Watching the church even though you have all these tabs open, he said, I'm not going to open these other tabs, inconvenience for the kingdom. The mission has to cost you something. For the sake of a greater satisfaction in Jesus, listen, this is going to hurt. I'm going to say it. You know I love you. I read this. Let's stop orientating the, the, uh, Jesus' church around our li- uh, to our lives and begin orientating our lives to his bride. Let's stop trying to orientate the church to our lives and let's start orientating our lives to the church. With a proper balance, if you're sick, stay home, right? Proper balance, if your kid is in the national, you know, in a soccer tournament and it's the championship and it's on a Sunday, shoot us a call, we'll pray for your kid. We've done it for our kids. But I'm talking about most part, we have to learn to be inconvenienced, we have to learn to commit. When this happens, we will no longer treat the church like a commodity, but like a royal community. All right, all right. And the last one is sacrifice. Um, Romans 12, 1 says, So dear brothers, I plead with you, give your uh, brothers and sisters, give your body to God because all he has done for you, let them be a living, a holy sacrifice. He will find acceptable, and this is the true way to worship him. And we have to be willing to sacrifice. And I don't have time to go into that, that, but sacrifice. We have to sacrifice our life. uh, uh, We have to sacrifice... um, our, uh, the way we talk, sacrifice the way we give, sacrifice our love, right? Rick Warren wrote this. I'm not sure if I have the Rick Warren slide. Rick Warren wrote this. One day we will stand before God and he will do an audit of your life, a final exam before we enter eternity. And brothers and sisters is up here, brothers is up here. Um, before you enter eternity. Fortunately, God wants us to pass this test. So he gives us the question. These are the questions he gives us in advance. He lets us know, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? God won't ask you about your religious background, your doctrinal belief. The only thing that will matter is, did you accept what Jesus did for you, and did you learn to love and trust him? Then another question God will ask you is, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with your life, with your gifts, your talents, your opportunities, your energy, your relationships, and the resources God gave you? Did you just spend them on yourself? Or did you use them for the purpose God has made you for? The first question determines where you will spend eternity. The second question determines what you do with eternity. So in conclusion, 
Once God begins to open our eyes and hearts and minds to the glory of Christ, you'll begin to desire to reflect that glory and live at a pace and at a freedom of grace. And I want to add to put the, I, I think, uh, one of the last slides. I challenge you to lay down your idols of materialism, pride, power, resentment, and pick up your cross. Put on the full armor of God and to lay down your life as the salt and light. As, the children, as children of God, as servants of God, as friends of God, contending for the crown and reflected for the, grow, the glory. And the last slide, may we repent and grow in our commitment to the king and the kingdom. May we be willing to be committed, to be inconvenienced, and willing to sacrifice in all and reflecting. This is a new chapter for our fellowship. And this is not for us to shrink back, but to grow up and to go forward. Where you're at, wherever you're at right now, maybe the brother's here, maybe you are bow your heads. Reflect, repent, and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to walk out these insights. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus, and I pray for everybody watching in Jesus' name. I pray for a new, a new a birth, a new desire to know about your glory, to learn about your kingdom and the gospel, to stare at Jesus in, in times of prayer, to reflect on the will, the ways, and the glory and grandeur of Christ. The way the seraphim angels cry, holy, holy, and holy, when they look at the Father, I pray that we would cry, holy, 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 as we look at the Son. Make us more like Jesus, Holy Spirit. Convict us of any idols in our life that are blocking this glory. And Lord, I pray that we will walk out these insights. I pray, Lord God, that we will be convicted, that we will be consecrated, that we will take heed of our calling, that we'll be willing to be inconvenienced, that we'll be committed, and that we'll be willing to sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.